0: Hello and welcome to this uh, second podcast looking at some of the ethical issues around decision making in the time of Covid. My name is Oliver Thomas, I'm a junior doctor in South East Scotland and I also have a background in medical ethics and I'm a member of the College Covid-19 Ethics Committee. As I say this is my second podcast, I hope you've had a chance to listen to the first one In fact, I hope you've listened to it on repeat and told all of your friends about it, Um, but if you haven't, don't worry, it's available on the college website, so please do do have a listen. In that podcast, I started to explore some of the reasons why decision-making at the moment seems a little different, and and why it might feel uncomfortable or, or even distressing. And... I suppose the single the single sentence summary of that discussion would probably be that we, we have or have been forced to or at least feel we have been forced to shift the primary focus of our decision-making process from the patient in front of us to a consideration of our, our wider responsibilities to a system as a whole. I discussed this in the context of a shift from prioritization of individual patient autonomy to a prioritization of justice in a system under unprecedented pressure. As I also discussed in in that first podcast, my intention this time is to take that idea a little further and and to think about how that shift in priorities might be causing harm to the decision-makers. I want to talk a little about the nature of that harm um, and about the ways it might manifest and and also about why it's important we recognize it and and steps we might start to take to meet that challenge. In, in the first podcast I presented a short vignette to help uh, structure some of the discussion. Now in that vignette we saw a, a junior doctor make the decision not to offer potentially life-prolonging treatment to an unwell patient. That decision was based on an assessment of likely benefit for that patient and, and that being balanced against other patients who might need those resources and might perhaps be expected to gain more benefit from them. This is the idea that in a situation such as the current pandemic, when resources are limited and there is unprecedented demand, we should allocate scarce resources where they are felt to be of most benefit. This is this is by no means a new idea, and, and it is in reality a core part of, of medicine. But as discussed before, it's it's perhaps an element of healthcare that junior doctors are shielded from. And and in normal Uh, pre-COVID practice junior doctors had the luxury of of rarely needing to consider factors beyond their particular patient and it's perhaps the encroachment of these justice elements into practice that is causing some discomfort. Um, In that in that vignette, the, the anxiety and distress associated with the decision were pretty immediately evident for the clinicians involved. But the worry is that in a situation such as the COVID pandemic, we, we may not be afforded the time and space to reflect on our practice and, and to process and rationalize the decisions we are making. Not all of the decisions are so immediately distressing. And I'm thinking there particularly of where we're working within frameworks, perhaps, that we are obliged to adhere to without the space to fully consider the underlying moral basis for them. Before I go too far into this discussion, and I I think I should try and explain what I mean when I'm talking about harm or potential harm and i suppose what i'm referring to here is the potential for a decision maker to feel negatively about the decision they have made and or about the results of that decision and and further for those feelings to have negative effects on the decision maker and on their ability to continue to make decisions this is this is linked to but beyond the normal appropriate degree of empathetic upset or sadness we might all expect to feel in the face of an upsetting situation. It is normal to feel sad and to feel upset when patients are are, are dying or in, in the face of a difficult diagnosis or, or, or an outcome. It is also normal to feel bad about errors or mistakes or less than ideal actions we may have taken, regardless of whether injury resulted. What I'm referring to by harm in this context is something a little different to that. A term that is increasingly being applied to medical decision making is that of moral injury. Um, For those unfamiliar with this concept, it's one that originated in work around helping Contextualize negative feelings seen in those exposed to combat situations and in those with post traumatic stress disorder stemming from those experiences. And more recently, the idea has been applied to medicine and, and has, in a very in potentially very constructive way, been used to move forward the discussions around burnout and mental exhaustion that we are all too familiar with in, in medicine. The idea is that it's because of repeated challenges to our own internal moral compass over time um, that we are increasingly burdened by the collective weight of these decisions um, that we are made, we have to make that are at odds with our own morality. Um, And it's this that eventually wears us down. The key thing to recognise here is that this is not a personal failing or any sort of weakness on the part of the actor. It's instead a reflection of, of systems-based failings that repeatedly place us in positions to have to make these harmful decisions. That This is, this is what I'm alluding to when I use the term moral harm and, and resultant moral injury. Uh, and it can easily be seen how such moral injury would have profoundly negative effects on, on those involved being forced to make these repeated decisions in situations where we are acting against what we would normally wish or want to do and i think here it would be useful again to give some sort of clinical grounding to this discussion to stop it becoming too deeply theoretical and and to help illustrate some of the points i'm i'm trying to make I think this time, instead of a single vignette, it might be better to briefly outline some of the scenarios I'm envisaging where, where harm may be caused by difficult decisions or situations and by the actions taken or, or, or by actions not taken, as as the case may be. Now, I'm sure we can all think of examples like this and, and the following examples are not in any way meant to be exhaustive, are illustrative, I hope, of of some of the issues emerging from the current response to the pandemic. Firstly, as as I've already alluded to, junior doctors may find themselves acting uh, acting as gatekeepers for scarce resources and and making decisions about who can access potentially life-prolonging therapies. And, and we 've already looked a little at how that might generate harm, both at the time of the decision uh, and later. Secondly, this is a, a rapidly evolving situation which requires equally rapid responses in terms of guidance on how to allocate resources and how to treat patients and, and so on this This rapid response may necessitate implementation of prescriptive policies which the junior doctors are required to follow without the space for discussion or or for adequate communication of the rationale underlying them. I'm I'm thinking here, for example, about some of the policies adopted early in the pandemic where there was a very real fear that we were imminently going to be inundated with patients and, and completely overwhelmed. Policies at that time were rapidly developed to meet this predicted demand and and the key was speed of getting services sorted and up and running rather than explaining in great detail why decisions had been made this is one of the situations in which it might be possible to see harm being caused both in the immediate sense of following rules you don't understand or agree with which links back to the previous points about junior doctors being accustomed to a high degree of agency and autonomy, but equally following the rules as they stand and then later reflecting on what that made us do is also an important part of potential harm that I think we need to consider. And it's also important here to consider that in a situation like this where there are multiple sources of information and and of guidance, and and each of those is able to act at a different speed, then there may be conflicting advice between local, national and international guidance as each comes out at different times. Which to follow may be unclear and, and again this could generate short-term and potentially long-term harm. Perhaps if a Local guide is followed that is later found to be at odds with international guidance and and here we might think of the example of of perhaps PPE This again is is in addition to the similar but separate idea that evidence coming out as a situation like this uh, changes um, and develops that alters what would be termed best practice so So things we did one day may subsequently be found to be detrimental. And there was a lot of this around things like fluids, non-steroidals and so on early in the pandemic. And and evidence continues to emerge, which will change what we think is the best way to do things. And um, I think that is a slightly separate issue as to where guidance changes if, if we are relying on the evidence, because the nature is that evidence will evolve over time. Another potential scenario for harm is is in the mortality associated with an illness such as COVID-19, and particularly the excess mortality in an overwhelmed system. Both aspects increase the number of deaths junior doctors are involved with, and where death occurs in a situation where the doctor has restricted the patient's access to additional therapies or interventions, This will place additional strain on them. I I wonder if perhaps the seeming immediacy of death in relation to decisions made is a factor here as well, so so junior doctors may more readily or more rapidly see the effects of their actions. Uh, Policies around visitation during Covid are are very important and, and are vital to limiting risk for visitors, for staff, and and, and for patients, all of whom might come into the hospital carrying the virus or be exposed to it when they're in the hospital or travelling to or from. And many hospitals have put sometimes quite draconian limits on who can and, and cannot visit. And at the end of life, this can mean junior doctors in a position where they are providing not just clinical but emotional support to to patients where families cannot be present. And and it can be easily seen how this would increase the potential for harm around decisions made. The Academy have issued some excellent guidance on how we might uh, think about and and meet these challenges around end of life visiting. So I'm I'm not gonna talk too much more about that here, but I'm gonna direct you to to that document instead. Um, And there are some wider issues that we might consider as contributing to harm or setting the stage for potential harm. For example, where service demands are necessitating working out with areas of expertise and in unfamiliar settings. The the challenge of self-assessing competence and safety and of being able to do that in the face of acute service demand can lead to... Uh, presenteeism and and feelings of having to choose between working beyond competence and and being safe and and that may well be a trigger for harm or or increased vulnerability to harm and and thinking once again about the idea of loss of professional autonomy and and in some ways loss of control of our decision making and of our independence which which it might seem like we've lost to overarching powers that are are directing us in a situation like this there is another element here which which may seem quite flippant um but i think is actually quite important and that's my beard and i've had a beard for many years i i think it's about Ten years since I was last full-time clean-shaven, but the need to be face-fitted for specific PPE masks meant my beard had to go. And I am by no means alone in this, and many colleagues would have lost their beards to what we have uh, jokingly been calling "covember," um, and we did this willingly, and and I certainly did. But but i don 't really like being clean shaven i I liked my beard, I looked good with a beard, and my wife liked my beard and I was sad when I had to shave it off and And it felt for me at least like I was sacrificing my personal life to my professional life and And I think this feeds into that idea of loss of autonomy, loss of control, loss of self-determination that sets the stage for vulnerability to moral harm when other demands are imposed upon us. I think this weakens our resilience and a key coping strategy for me, as, as for many, is to keep what distance I can between work and and non-work life and <laughs> I am aware that the fact that I even use that term non-work to define the personal parts of my life shows how those boundaries are blurring and, and having to take the step which may seem trivial of shaving my beard certainly left me with a feeling that I uh, I lost some part of my ability to delineate how much of my life my work controls. To be explicitly clear, I am not in any way trying to suggest that you need a beard to be a doctor and and I know I'd be on incredibly thin ice there. My point is that doctors doctors have lost many of our uh, professional shibboleths over recent decades and, and white coats being just one and And there are strong arguments that this is a very good thing and anti-paternalistic and and so on. But but in some ways, these were the costume we removed when we went home to take off our work self and leave it at work. So it's increasingly difficult to keep a work-free part of our lives. I I wonder if where personal freedoms and and self-determination are sacrificed to professional duties, Regardless of the importance and right of doing so, it, it can only engender a potentially harmful sense of, of work dominating all parts of our lives. When I get up in the morning, even if it 's a day where i 'm not going to work, looking in the mirror, seeing my my naked chin reminds me of work reminds me of the primacy of work in my life and I I would propose that that makes me more vulnerable to harms that come from the other scenarios we've spoken about as generating harms. Um, Finally, there is an element I want to briefly mention, though I I don't know how much of this will fit with the other things we're going to think about, but I I think it's interesting and perhaps potentially a whole discussion on its own. But that's the idea of harm being caused to healthcare workers who feel obliged to absent themselves from the Covid efforts and and response. I'm thinking here of healthcare workers who due to their own medical problems or or issues are unable to safely take a role on the front line and in using that term front line I am aware that a lot of the the war vocabulary and narrative that that's being used around Covid is is potentially exacerbating the issues I'm about to define. But those staff who are not able to be on the front line for whatever reason are potentially vulnerable to harm because of it. There's there's anecdotal evidence that staff who have been moved to safer areas, if there is such a thing, um, or at least staff who are working remotely or in areas where we can as far as is possible ensure they are not exposed to coronavirus, then these staff members in 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 some way may feel a guilt about putting their own health first. I, I think we would all agree that staff have a right to put their own health first and whether that is qualified in certain situations or not, there is a, a fundamental right there. And we are perhaps more familiar with this line of reasoning when we think about healthcare workers conscientiously objecting to offering certain treatments or procedures they, they cannot in good faith agree with. And, and we might allow them to absent themselves from those situations as long as that can be done in such a way as to not injure the patient But in in this situation where staff are perhaps forced to distance themselves from high-risk areas of the hospital, I propose there is a a real potential for guilt and for harm stemming from the perception that they are necessitating colleagues taking up that burden. Again anecdotally, there there are some who find this brought sharply into focus with the overwhelming support being shown, for example, through the, the first aid gap for carers. As I said, I'm not going to pursue this line of thinking too far here. And it, and it should, of course, be noted that, that there is an incredibly important need for non-COVID services to be offered and to continue to be able to meet the needs of patients. And so I'm not suggesting in any way that staff working in non-COVID areas of the hospital are not vitally important, but what I am proposing is that there may be a potential source of harm where staff feel their own health has prevented them doing their bit for for want of a, a less harmful metaphor. So, okay, thinking about those potential sources of harm, the emerging issues can potentially be loosely grouped into two predominant themes, each involving their own moral complexity. I think, firstly, we have situations in which staff are working to rules, they do not have the ability to question, and and secondly, we have situations where staff are Staff are being required to make decisions which are based on balancing their duty to a specific patient against broader duties to other patients and to the system as a whole. In the first situation there the junior doctor has lost their professional autonomy or or at least will feel they have and They have therefore lost control of the decisions they make and and they're open to moral harm from the consequences of those decisions. In situation two, the, the junior doctor is being required to perform an unfamiliar balancing act between factors they have not been trained to consider. These are not new situations for doctors to find themselves in complex and, and challenging decision-making is a central part of clinical medicine and and yet there is this very real sense that the decisions we are currently making uh, and the feelings we have about them are different to our normal work. I, I hope those examples go some way to to helping us understand why that might be. So. So now having defined harm and and outlined some of the situations we're facing that might increase exposure to that harm, I I want to move on to think about how we might try and ameliorate that harm. As stated, moral complexity is not new in in medicine, but I wonder if there is something in the loss of our normal supportive and protective factors that is making us feel it more acutely. There are a range of recognised techniques and strategies to to build resilience to help us meet the moral challenges of clinical practice, but many of these have been reduced in the face of the current pandemic. For example, social support and social interaction is is fundamental to building that resilience, social distancing measures coupled with longer hours perhaps working in pandemic rotors and um, can lead to social isolation. Not everyone feels able to fully express difficult feelings by email or phone or video conferencing and, and I would suggest that where there is a chance to spend a short time with non-medics outside of work, even if it is by video conference or or whatever then the instinct is often to talk about absolutely anything other than work not that that is in itself a bad thing but it does mean that time is not spent talking about and reflecting on difficult decisions and situations we have found ourselves in equally when we do get home and have some time off it's it's nigh on impossible to switch off from covid there is wall-to-wall coverage in the media and and importantly on social media and if this deters doctors from using these platforms then they they miss that opportunity to engage with friends and family family and and get some normality in their lives and and gain support we might also find that in in the context of an all-consuming pandemic, work colleagues are or are perceived to be too busy to listen or to help and that reduces support in the workplace, especially where doctors are are, are further isolated by working out with their usual teams and, and settings. Equally, effective supervisory relationships are recognized as vital in helping trainees respond to moral challenges. Again, the the COVID pandemic has disrupted these relationships. There are many challenges to maintaining supervisory support during a crisis, not least supervisors and supervisees being busy, and, and supervisors may have lost dedicated training time from their work plans. Overall, it's the idea that service needs trump training needs and whether this is true or not crisis response makes it seem like it is the risk therefore is that with little space for timely effective supported reflection issues are being deferred and and not adequately addressed there is this idea of of nipping things in the buds that again comes out of the moral injury work done with the uh, in the in the um, in the military and that idea is that if we can get to these issues early and address them early then we are preventing them becoming bigger issues down the line and this is where i think a better understanding of these issues can be of of real benefit if we can be alert to the triggers for moral risk and and the situations where we're most likely to be faced with these challenges. And if we can recognize these harms in ourselves and in our colleagues, we can support each other in overcoming them. Traditional support mechanisms may not be adequate for us to do this, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And and I think there's likely to be a real need for support for the supervisors. to help them meet this trainee need, and we need to offer training in how to recognise signs of moral injury and how to support those trainees. How best to provide this education uh, remains to be established. Examining the the previously outlined potential triggers for harm, we can also see ways that that we might try and preempt these harms and. For example, we might try and provide narrative justifications for policies that are put in place. Um, So where we are issuing guidance on resuscitation or or whatever the issue is, that comes with some text from those people putting that policy together, explaining the rationale and helping the people who are required to enact that policy to understand why it is in place. all of this can, can help us ensure transparency in the generation of these guidelines and, and policies. A new poster appearing on the wall of the admitting unit saying, do X, don't do Y, with, with no way of knowing who decided that or why, is, is just not good enough. That is not to say that this will be easy in a time of crisis, but the risks of failing to do so aren't significant. So then to to summarize, and and as I reflect on where this discussion, this, this line of reasoning over these two podcasts has taken me, I suppose the real nub here is an attempt to make some semblance of sense out of a feeling of... Of complete helplessness in the face of an untreatable overwhelming disease. I think that, that sense of helplessness, of, of uselessness perhaps, has, has clearly dominated my own thinking with regards to how I feel about what I can and cannot do at work. And for me that has perhaps become an almost conspiracy theorist-like attempt to identify unseen forces robbing me of of my autonomy and it's as if that might explain why i'm not able to help people as i would want to do rather than the slightly more brutal explanation that it is a disease we cannot treat and yeah but we are all facing an unprecedented situation and we are seeing enormous changes in the way we do what we do and that comes with new and unexpected risks. There are a huge variety of ways we might be opening ourselves up to moral harm and it may be in ways that we do not immediately realize. During and after the Covid pandemic and potentially many months and years after we may suffer significant harms stemming from decisions made during times of crisis or from challenging situations out with our control. It will be important to recognize this harm and and to address it effectively and I think that's something we all have a role in doing. So I hope that line of reasoning makes sense and that you can see some utility in in thinking about these issues at a time when we all have so much else on our plates. But I do think it's important and and I hope you do too, having just spent some of your valuable time listening to this podcast. I, I hope to be able to prepare some more podcasts looking at some other areas of moral complexity in this COVID pandemic. So if there's something I've mentioned today you think you'd like to hear more about, Or or if there's something I haven't talked about you you think I should have, or if there's something you think I have got completely wrong in in all of this, please, please do get in touch. My email is oliver.thomas3 at nhs.net. That's uh, oliver.thomas3, the number three, at nhs.net. And I would love to hear your feedback or ideas for other topics. But thank you very much for listening and goodbye.